that's kind of what makes me unique in the work I do is I believe in mind body wellness and that actually the most important thing we can change is our mind. Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. We are a community for curious people, for people at a life or career crossroads, ready to rejoin their soul and their role. We are insatiably curious about how self-knowledge can make us better humans and help us make a bigger impact. The more we learn, the better we get. And there are people from a wide variety of disciplines doing the work. They can teach us something about ourselves and the work we can do. I'm Shelley Prevost. I'm an educational psychologist. And I'm Chad Prevost. I'm a writer and teacher. We are partners in business and partners in life. We have in-depth conversations that cut to the chase and reveal that our inner work is critical if we want to leave a mark on the world. This is Big Self Work. Let's get started. Camille Kennard is a certified health and wellness coach. She began her career as a social worker for a decade, counseling people with chronic medical conditions and providing grief counseling to patients and families. The inspiration for her business Flourish Wellness came from her desire to help people avoid chronic disease and illness through learning to nurture themselves as part of their lifestyle, body, mind, and soul. And this passion came from her own journey with managing weight, improving her confidence, and learning to love and care for herself. Hey, Camille, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. What What's the situation there like in uh, Sandy, Utah? Well, you know, we've been going through what everybody's kind of going through, which is, um, you know, kind of just staying in place only going out for essential trips, like to the grocery store and stuff like that. Um, so it's been, it's been an interesting ride for all of us. I think that we just um, got a notification from the governor that we're going to be doing this until May 1st, for sure. Okay. So it's kind of where we're at. And, you know, we've had about 18 deaths and I think there's a few, um, you know, about 2000 cases here in Utah. Okay. So with the COVID-19. But you and your family are are safe and hunkered down. We're good. Okay. Yep, we're hunkered down and and we're safe and everybody's good. We did a big Zoom on Easter Sunday and got everybody on and it was really awesome. fun to see all their faces that we haven't seen in a while. So good. Thank goodness for Zoom, right? Uh, it's so I'm a lifesaver. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I, we're going to talk a little bit about your work, um, cause I think it will be really interesting to our community, but I wanted to start a little bit with your personal journey and how you moved into this work. I know that you've shared about your struggle with weight loss and body image issues. Um, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to yeah, share. Tell a little bit about your struggle, um, and kind of the turning point for how you started to make some of the changes that have stuck so well. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of this started even when I was a teenager and I know I work with a lot of teens and so I have this special place in my heart because I understand um, just the challenge of loving yourself. And uh, when I was a teen, I, I really felt like I wasn't okay the way I was. My body, um, I, I developed really early as a, a 13 year old um, and I didn't, think that was okay, right? Mm -hmm. I thought that was a negative thing and that I wasn't beautiful or I compared myself to other girls who are taller or I thought were prettier than me. Um, you know, two of my really good friends, one was the homecoming queen and the other was the valedictorian. And I just thought, well, I'm not as smart as the one and I'm not as pretty as the other and just really struggled with um, feeling any kind of love for myself. 
Um, I w- I'm the oldest of eight children, so I was always busy taking care mm-hmm. of little babies, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, spent a lot of my uh, a lot of my time just really focusing on others and not really thinking a lot about about myself other than that I wasn't okay, that I wasn't enough, that my hips were too big and I I had a chest and I didn't like that and I just had this negative image of myself um, that really drove me to I feel like this self kind of loathing where the inner critic was really loud and I started to you know try to feel better by eating and that became kind of an emotional eating habit where I just you know would hunker down and watch tv and eat junk food to try and help myself feel better and it just became kind of this cycle that I continued in you know where I would feel bad and then I would eat and then I would feel bad because again, I, I thought, well, I'm just getting fatter and uglier and, and that kind of a thing. So it just kind of became this cycle, um, even, you know, up until my senior year of high school, which is when things kind of started to shift for me, um, in a, in a positive direction, but that was, you know, through my life, I just felt like I wasn't enough. Like I wasn't good enough, smart enough, you know, there's just this internal dialogue going on. And then it was like this self-defeating behavior because what I said, I actually ended up doing, you know, more of this negative behavior of, of eating more and not taking care of my health. So, yeah, and I'm, I want to talk about the kind of the shift, but I want to stop for a minute because, um, gosh, so many women listening to this, me included, can totally relate to what you're talking about. Um, and we have mm-hmm. Chen and I have an 11 year old daughter. And I remember seeing something years ago that age nine, at age nine, girls are the most free and pure that they will be because then they hit adolescence or really, you know, being a tween and all that Mm self-image and that body image stuff really starts to smack them in the face. And I've read that and I was, and she was nine at the time. And I was like, oh my gosh, this breaks my heart that, and, and even as a woman, like I remember that, you know, all that, that inner critic. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested before we move on, if you could talk just for a second about what, like that cultural conditioning and what it does to girls, what it does to women, um, how you see that show up in your work, um, and how you, you know, the shift that you made, it sounds like your senior year, in confronting those messages. Um, just talk a little bit about that process, if you could. Yeah, it's interesting because I've talked about body image a lot. And we actually did a big here in Utah, a big superhero event that was for teens. Mm-hmm. It was suicide awareness. And we talked about body image. And one of the things that I brought up um, about the body image is just what our media is feeding us, right? That that there's images that are photoshopped and there's um, images that are portrayed that are not reality. And with social media, you know, people can um, make their <laughs> make their social media profile look like whatever they oh, want. And there's and people apps. are usually there's apps for all that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. So so we're really not seeing reality, you know, and and I kind of brought this to light by saying, you know, the, the average woman is five foot four and one hundred and forty pounds. And the average man is like 5'8 and 180 pounds. But yet our models, our supermodels are 5'10 and maybe 100 and maybe 105 pounds, right? And our men are over six feet and they're, you know, 200 pounds. So we're, we're just looking at that something's portrayed that is a very, very small portion of the population. And so 
what I really love to do is to help um, women and girls understand that that is if we if we feed into that culture, if we feed into that, we're going to be really unhappy because we're looking at something that isn't attainable and isn't reality. And then, you know, really just helping them see that um, beauty is actually so much bigger than um, than just a what you look like in a picture, right? That beauty is about who you are and what you bring to the world and that every single woman out there has beauty and that you can also appreciate things about yourself. Like, I think that's what I started to do is like, I started appreciating, oh, I love my long hair and I love my blue eyes. And I really try to help my teenage clients, especially really dig deep and just think about what kinds of things do you like about yourself? You know, the physical attributes that you have that you you can feel proud of yourself about that you're, you know, the things you've accomplished, the things that are really about what, in my opinion, is beauty, where it just shines through because of who you are, your kindness, your compassion, um, those kinds of things, because I feel like there is such this um, emphasis on just that physical, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I really try to help um, the women I work with and the, and the teens that I work with to see that we can reject or at least be very skeptical about what's out there, mm-hmm. right? Like kind of question it and not take it in. It's kind of like you're noticing it, sort of a mindfulness thing, right? I'm noticing these are the things that are being said, but what do I want to believe? What do I want to take into my life to have be part of who I am? You know? Yeah. Well, when someone comes to you and and wants help with, say, this outer work, eating better, sleeping better, they know that, you know, maybe, you know, that it's exercising more, but you know that they have some inner work to do, maybe even first. What what are you looking for? How do you help them pause long enough to look inside? Yeah, that's a really good point because, you know, I really feel like that's kind of what makes me unique in the work I do is I believe in mind, body, wellness, and that actually the most important thing we can change is our mind. Once we once we change the way we view ourselves and our limit and, and shift those limiting beliefs, then, you know, anything's possible for us. Eating better and exercise is easy at that point, mm-hmm. you know, it's the mental shifts that are so difficult. And so a lot of times what I do is just explore with people and let them talk. And, and when, when a person talks, you get to hear the details of what they think and feel about themselves, right? They'll tell you about the pain of their childhood, you know, how eating and food was love for their family, you know, the shame they felt when they were overweight in a swimsuit with their girlfriends at the beach, you know, so all these things come out and you start to see how um, what they're, what they're saying to themselves, right? That inner self-talk, what's happening inside their heads. And, and then at that point, I try to help them challenge those thoughts. Like, is that really true? You know, and, and how can you know that's true? Right. And, and really start to do, um, a cognitive shift there of being able to look at it in a different way, which maybe they've never done before, or they've never, they've just believed. And that's what I did as a teenager. I didn't, I didn't think it was the way I was thinking. I thought it was fact. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really fact that I am fat and ugly, right? And, and so helping people see that maybe there's a different way you could look at it and maybe that's not true. And sometimes I'll even pull out something like, hey, what if, what if, um, what if being who, how you are is, is okay? What if there's nothing wrong with mm. you? What if you're just great the way you are? Yeah. And that gets them kind of thinking, about possibilities. And, and it takes a while, you know, I mean, anytime we want to change something that we've been thinking for 
years and years. I mean, a lot of people have gone through traumatic experiences and it takes time to create those new neural pathways and really to shift your beliefs. But it's exciting to see someone start to see themselves in a different light. What if this, you know, I have a client right now that she just hates that she has this round face, you know, and I said, but what if your face and the way your face is, is just the perfect way for you to be and show up in the world, you know, that you've got this glow about you. And it kind of got her thinking, oh, you know, maybe my face and the way, way it looks is, is okay. You know, and I think it's really hard for people to go from a place of like, really that inner critic and hating themselves to a place of, oh, I love my body. And it's great. It's, it takes time to just even be like, what one of the first steps I do is just like, what can your body do for you? Like, how does it help you in your life? Like moving from one place to the other, or, you know, like, what does your body do for you instead of like having to right away focus on, oh, I love my body, because that can be really tough for people, but just starting to help them see the positive, see the good, see what's going well, and the possibility that how they are and who they are is just exactly who they need to be. I love that. You know? Yeah, that's and that's a lot of what I do in my work as well is challenging these really rigid beliefs that I think you're totally right. Like kids, teenagers, adults, like we're not taught how to challenge these deeply held beliefs because they're just beliefs. You know, they're just thoughts that we have gathered over time that we subscribe to in a deep, profound way. So, so we have the ability to to change our beliefs, uh, but we're not taught really how to do that. And so I love that idea of, you know, like pulling them into some, uh, inviting them, maybe is a better word, into some awareness about what beliefs do they have, do they hold, and how can they hold them maybe a little bit more loosely? Like, what are some options? What Mm -hmm. are some more flexible ways? And I I think that the, um, it's really hard work because I'm just sitting here thinking about the cultural messages especially women receive, they're so powerful. So to do that work, I think brings up this self-loathing, um, the, the, the shame you talked about. And so, uh, I really like that you talked about that process and that it does take time. There's a, this is not a flip that a switch that you flip that happens overnight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, well, let's think about like right now, like those, those are some long-term process driven things that you're working with your uh, clients with. I'm, I'm wondering like, how are people coping right now? Have you seen uh, a spike in stress? Are, are there um, some things that are going on that you're, um, you're helping some of your clients with right now? Yes, definitely a spike in stress. You know, I think anytime I have most of my clients have some a bit of anxiety, you know, as we all do mm. in general life. But then when you see this, um, you know, the unknown, the uncertainty, when is it going to end? Um, you know, and then it's just it's a really hard place for a lot of people to be because the anxious mind does tend to create worst case scenarios mm-hmm. and come up with these horrible possibilities of what what could happen and we and we are you know on the other hand i validate that we're all grieving this is this is difficult for every single person out there you know and there's challenges that that people have um you know with finance finances or you know trying to homeschool their kids or you know all these different things that you know for 
us as humans, we don't like change as it is. I mean, it's very difficult for us, right? And then to have all of this change all at once and then not know when it's going to end and, and have some of our, you know, what I was thinking even for myself is like just a feeling of loss of control, you know, that that I can no longer just go to the grocery store or, you know, I have to wear a mask and I can't, you know, just go up into the mountains the same as I used to. I mean, I have to adapt things and we are adaptable, but I think for a lot of my clients, what I've seen is they're already struggling with um, anxiety. So like I have one client who has pretty severe OCD and he owns a business and he's just found that this has made his OCD so much worse, right? Like where he's just worried every, he's washing his hands like, you know, every other minute, you know, and just really concerned about what could happen to his family and what could happen to his business. And, you know, so I have seen um, that so many people are just so on the edge, you know, not knowing what, wh when the other shoe is going to drop. And, you know, it's natural for our brain to do that because, our brain is set up to protect us, you know, it's, it's wants to protect us from something bad happening. And so it comes up with these stories. And it's been, I feel blessed to do this work, because I feel like what I've been able to do is to help people step back from some of those stories, mm -hmm. and just be present in the moment um, to what's happening and what they have control over and really focusing on that. But yes, definitely. I mean, every one of my clients is dealing with something different. Some of them are on the front lines. I have a nurse I'm working with. And then, like I say, I have a couple of business owners who are really struggling with knowing what's going to happen with their business. So, so yeah, you, I'm seeing a lot of them. Yeah. I'm really interested in, in these, this idea of the stories people tell themselves. Um, so you, I, we've heard you talk before about you've had anxiety for some of your some of your life and experiences and, and really found a bunch of freedom and being able to depersonalize it and really welcome it uh, and maybe examine it might be a better word. Um, how do you see these stories that we kind of construct? Um, I think about them often as a loop, like we, there really aren't, there's not an ending to it, but, but our brain, our minds trying to make sense of something. Like, how do you see that how did it shape you, those stories, and how did you come through that? And then what are you seeing in your practice as well? Yeah, thank you. I think that, you know, it's so interesting because we all, our whole lives, like we've been telling ourselves stories since we were children, you know, like I said about my body image, and then the stories that anxiety can tell, you know, I think a lot of my anxiety was about the not enough stuff, right? The the anxiety of feeling like I'm not I'm not good enough. I can't do things like other people, which is a story. It's not true. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not it's not based in truth. And so, with a lot of my clients, when they're telling a story, I I say, oh, that sounds like anxiety talking, right? That sounds like the anxiety is telling you a story to try to protect you. And I try to help them kind of look at the anxiety almost as if it's something sitting beside them, but not inside of them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've said you can invite your anxiety to tea. It can sit right there by you and you can see what it's telling you and what is the story it's telling you. And is that story something that you really want to, you know, believe? Because our stories are so, so powerful. You know, when we like with my clients who are struggling with anxiety right now, if I believe that my business is going to be you know, destroyed with this coronavirus, then I'm constantly in fear. And it's, it's impacting not only our negative, our uh, mental health, but also our physical health, you know, to where we're not able to, 
you know, your, your blood pressure rises and mm -hmm. people are not eating well, and we're just not taking care of ourselves. You know, the beliefs and the stories that we tell get us into this survival mode, right? Where we're just taking one moment at a time instead of like really being intentional about each step we take. We're just trying to survive. And, and I understand that that's happening right now. But what I try to really help my clients with is to know that right now in this present moment, you're safe. Mm. Everything's okay. As you look at the present, if you put your feet on the ground, notice yourself sitting in your chair, connect to your breath, that right now, things are you're you're okay, and that your brain is trying to protect you. And you know, for some of my clients, they do need to make a plan to feel better, right? Like, okay, this is what I'm going to do if this happens. And, and this, and that's a great thing to do is to make a plan, but to also notice that when the worst case scenario comes up, and that uncertainty that that when you're feeling that, that's you're listening to a story, right? When you're feeling that this, I'm not going to make it and everything's going to, you know, that I'm going to be destroyed with this coronavirus. Mm -hmm. That really is anxiety speaking. And, you know, we really have to be careful about what we put into our brains, mm -hmm. whether it's our own self-talk yeah. or the news that we're watching. I've noticed for a lot of my clients that. when they watch news, it's like that takes them down a, like a really big hole, yeah, right? So like we, the news. I, I told, yes, I'm telling, like I was working really hard on my anxiety and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm building a practice. I am like breathing through this. I'm doing all the work that I encourage other people to do. And then I go watch the news and I feel like everything I just did unraveled. And so I have had to yeah. like get off Facebook. I've had to get off the media, like all me, like I can't watch it because it just, it undoes everything that I'm trying to, mm -hmm. trying to do to stay healthy. So I totally agree. Yeah. We get to decide what we feed ourselves, right? right. Like what we focus on gr grows. I always tell my clients, if you focus on the most negative thing, that's what's going to grow. And so, you know, just being really standing at the door of your mind and what you allow in. I mean, I think it's great to be educated. I myself get a text for any breaking news, but mm -hmm. that's all the news that I, that I watch. So smart. And I, you know, talk to my clients about that, you know, that just really standing at the door of your mind and making sure that you decide what comes in and then what you do with whatever comes in. How do you, how do you, um, Learn, how do you teach your your clients to do that, to stand at the door of their mind? What are some practical uh, ways that, that people begin to develop that habit? I know, I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed is just helping people recognize what happens in their body when they start believing a story, right? That your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate gets faster, you're breathing. And to help people take a moment to pause and to step back, you know, in mindfulness, which is, you know, a lot of what I b believe in is mindful health, is we're taught to step back and to rather than being reactive to what's happening in the moment, we're noticing it. And then we're deciding how we're going to respond to it. So I use, um, it's called the stop practice with a lot of my clients. It's just an acronym of the S is for stopping. <laughs> the T is for taking a breath. The O is observing what's whatever's happening, thoughts, you know, feelings, emotions, um, sensations in the body. And then the P is to proceed. And for people to just know that they have some control over that, that they can step back. And it's hard. It's a practice. Um, you know, sometimes our amygdala is going crazy and that fight or flight. 
But I think if I, what I've noticed is that if my clients can just take a moment, even to just start to center themselves in the breath, connecting to this present moment, their five senses, and observing what is happening, they're able to make a choice in how they want to respond moving forward. That That's, that's cool. Great. You know, yeah. I've also heard you talk about, you know, one of the ways that you began to have power over your, your own anxiety was that you could kind of depersonalize it and you were able to distance yourself from it and say hello to the anxiety as it was mm-hmm. happening. It, it sounds similar. Um, how, and I've, and I've come across some literature that, you know, in my readings that say to sort of like to do that and to even possibly when you're feeling the wave of anxiety or panic coming at you to go towards it. Um, which feels so counterintuitive to most people, yes. you know, like, why would I go towards something that makes me feel awful? <laughs> makes me feel. Yeah. Anxious. Yeah. A, a big thing is just recognizing it. I think for a lot of my clients, one of the biggest things that they get is just to start to notice insight into their mental habits, right? To recognize what's happening and then allow it to happen and even naming it, oh, I'm feeling fear. Oh, I'm feeling anxiety. Oh, that's the anxiety talking. I mean, when I talk about depersonalizing, that is one of the biggest things that I've been able to use is to, in the moment, feel that my tension rising and my shoulders are going up and my heart's beating faster and to say, your friend anxiety is here. Mm. <laughs> Noticing that your friend anxiety is here right now. You know, this is the anxiety. And and naming it almost takes the intensity away as well to just name what is happening in that moment. Um, I know for myself, um, that has helped me a lot to not make it, to not have it be so much um, getting into that. You know, we call it the anxiety loop where you're, the worry goes into another worry and just keeps going. It can almost stop it in its tracks sort of a thing and help you step back when you can say, I'm hearing what you're saying, anxiety. Thank you for saying this. You're trying to protect me. You're trying to keep me safe. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. That sounds like a powerful practice that could, that could help a lot as I think about, I mean, I'm a pretty anxious person. I've never had panic attacks, but I've I was actually thinking this very morning about um, just some moments in which um, I was extremely anxious and uh, and kind of, you're right, like naming it, distancing yourself, writing about the experience and thinking about, you know, just how you could overcome it through um, through this, kind of the distancing yourself from it. I see that that is being um, pretty powerful. You know, well, we've been talking, Camille, about uh, the, the inner work, uh, we've been emphasizing that, but, you know, of course there is this, I think that it goes both ways, right? Where, where we see, when we see the results of outer work that can encourage the process. And I've been reading a lot about how, you know, there's a whole lot of literature and it's kind of popular, all the habit stuff, habit stacking, the domino effect, some of that interesting stuff about habits, micro movements, um, but I've also read that like w- one of the most powerful ways to begin a habit begins when you like literally are physically exercising some kind of routine or habit around that. What, what do you begin with your clients when you're trying to teach them just some something to like start moving forward with? Yeah, I love that. And, you know, as I was just thinking about everything I believe in, 
you know, mindfulness is such an important thing in helping us to respond differently. And then also recognizing how powerful our mind is that we can create new neural pathways and that we also can create these habits. Um, you know, any of us um, have habits we do without even even thinking about it. Um, you know, I, I read that book, The Power of Habit, and I just I just thought about how there's these cues that people have that they can get into these routines and get a reward. And for most of my clients, I help them explore that. I talk to them about, you know, what is it that is a cue to you in this habit, whether it's a habit you want to get rid of or a habit that you want to form. You know, for so many of us, there's there's a certain cue that gets us to do what we what we're going to do, like walking in the in the bathroom. It reminds me to brush my teeth, you know, or putting my shoes by the by the bed. And it reminds me to go out for my walk in the morning. So our our habits are, you know, so powerful. And for people to just even start a habit is is tough, you know, because it's something new that they haven't tried before. But I try to just help them see that you already have habits that you've gotten into just simply by, you know, doing it every day and trying trying it out. So I really have my uh, clients look at the celebrations of what's gone well in the past and how they can recreate that in the future um, and then helping them just try I, I really start simple with one thing that they're working on because I feel like people get so overwhelmed. It's like those New Year's resolutions where they're like, I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to make all this money. And I'm going to, it's like everyone gets so overwhelmed with all these plans that they have that are really big. So I really help people try to narrow down what they want and why they want it. And then how can we create one new habit? So say you want the habit of I'm going to drink more water. What does that look like for you? Are you going to set, you know, a glass of water down right by your desk and every hour you're going to drink from it or you're going to drink in the morning first thing, you're going to have a glass of water right by your sink, you know, so really helping people, I believe in the habit stacking, you know, I think it's exciting that we already have things that are habits and so putting something else together with that, you know, you you have the habit of getting up and going to the bathroom, right? <laughs> and what what if you just did a few push-ups after that? Or, you know, what if you just did your meditation right after that? That has helped me so much too in my life is to have where you kind of know that your your brain loves to be in a routine. Mm -hmm. So just knowing what your brain, that it knows what to expect next because it's got this, this routine. And they are hard. Again, it's hard to um, create a new routine. But just by giving people a chance to see what reward they may get out of it, you know, even the feeling of accomplishment. You know, I had one client that was just working on um, getting out and walking every day. And she said, I would feel accomplished. I would feel like I could check something off that I did well each day when I went out and did my walk. So, you know, really helping them savor and celebrate the things that have gone well. Um, and I think that's, I mean, for myself, as I changed habits, that was the biggest thing is really soaking in and savoring what the reward is, what you're getting out of it. Because if you get something out of it, you want to keep doing it. So I want to, I'm going to ask about sleep habits a little bit, if we can talk <laughs> about sleep habits, because sure. this is, you know, something else. And a lot of people are up against right now. There's sleep. So when, when the coronavirus hit, a lot of people were saying the first couple of weeks, they actually were sleeping better and they're kind of reset their sleep rhythms. Um, they're like, you know, I'm not having to go out and rush around anymore. 
and now I'm hearing a lot of people struggling with sleep again. Like, I don't know if it's, uh, the habits not stuck or we, you know, we have two teenage boys and their sleep is all out of whack. So I'm, I'm interested in what your thoughts are about sleep habits, kind of what, what we can intentionally be doing to help create better sleep for ourselves and our families. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, when I think about health and wellness, which is the focus of my business is mind body wellness, I would say the biggest thing that most people struggle with, and I feel like more important than even, you know, exercise and eating well is great and very important. But if you don't get enough sleep, your body is not able to function, it's not able to regenerate, you know, they actually say people's blood pressure and heart rates and hormones and uh, you know, weight loss isn't possible if you're not getting enough sleep. So I just mm-hmm. want to emphasize how That's how important huge. that is. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's huge. And and when I, you know, most of the time when I'm working on this, either myself and with my family or with my um, with my clients, it's really again looking at being an observer to your experience. If I go to bed at midnight and I get up at six, what do I notice? If I drink some water before I go to bed, if I eat something, if I look at my cell phone right before I go to bed. Again, it's like noticing what your habits, either how they support you or how they take away from your experience of sleep, right? Getting enough sleep. So I really, really focus on sleep hygiene with my clients, which is what are your practices? What are your practices that you do before you go to bed that you, um, that you do every night, just like, you know, a morning routine, this is a night routine. So whether that's looking at distractions, you know, your cell phone, putting that away a good hour before you go to bed because of that bright light that just does not help our brain go settle down. Um, And then, you know, they say if we get sunlight during the day, that helps with our sleep, meditation, yoga, maybe taking a warm bath, tracking your sleep and noticing, okay, when I get this many hours of sleep, this is what I feel like. And then trying to stay in a routine that you go to bed at the same time and you get up at the same time every day, limiting your caffeine, you know, taking time to just wind down. It's those things of like knowing what your bedroom nighttime routine is, that your that your bedroom is only for sleep. I, I've read a study about that, how people sleep better when their bed isn't a place that they're doing activities and, you know eating and, you know, that it's only for sleep, that then their brain remembers, oh, this is where I go to sleep. So there's just, I feel like, you know, just that sleep hygiene is really important for people to, and to try out because what works for one may not work for another person, you know, but what I've noticed is that when people are having struggles with their sleep, there's usually something in there that's kind of missing, right? They don't, they're not, they're not taking time away from their cell phone. They're like looking at their phone in their bed or, you know, they don't, they go right to the bed without like doing some kind of yoga or meditation or something that can kind of bring their, um, bring themselves into a more calm state. And it's huge right now because I feel like, you know, it's just natural for us at the end of the day for our brain to start thinking about all the what ifs and all the concerns of what am I going to do tomorrow? And so just really helping people take that time to be mindful, to slow down, and do these, you know, these hygiene habits that can help them, you know, drift into sleep. And sometimes people do have like problems that are, 
you know, physiological that they need to see a doctor about. But what I'm finding more than anything is it really is about what is your habits? Mm -hmm. What are your habits to get to go to sleep? Those hygiene. Yeah. And I think, and to take it to the inner work a little bit, one of the things I've noticed about myself, and I think I'm seeing this more and more is that it's like my mind packages up all my unfinished business from the day and it visits me at three o'clock AM. So like the days that I'm mindful, I'm observing, I'm tending to my emotional health and my mental health through the day, whatever that might look like are the days that I'm finding I, I don't sleep great, but I sleep better. I usually, I do this three o'clock AM thing where I wake up, um, and sometimes I can get back to sleep. Sometimes I don't. And I lay there, get up. But it is this kind of uh, packaging up or this, you know, this reservoir of subconscious stuff that I think when we don't deal with it in the day, it it makes its way to us at night. And so I think that's part of this inner work that that is so important for people to know. Yeah. And even just like you say, noticing that is happening. And, you know, I think for a lot of my clients, sometimes I say, you know, if you need to sit down and journal for a while and get it all out or talk to someone or, you know, so that that then your brain feels like it's in a place that it can slow down, you know, I think that's so important, you know, that people can kind of be observant to what it is they might need. It might be an emotional need. It might be a physical need, mm-hmm. you know, and, and giving your body what it needs. Cause it's natural for us to, to go to sleep if we give our body, you know, what, what it, it needs. needs to do that. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, I mean, I'm going to add to the, some of the challenges there because I, you know, like I've also recently learned that, you know, if you, if you mess with those rhythms that and you get sleep deprivation for you know even a, a single night or two that you can't just make up for it by sleeping an extra cycle the next day that it actually could take you know that I've even read like weeks to get back on cycle and so when I wake up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep I start freaking out that I can't my cycles messed up my sleep. cycles messed up yeah no no <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's like this this um round in our head like where we're like I can't sleep and then we're worried about the not sleeping and then the anxiety comes in, right? Yeah. So I really I I really try to help people. So I look at like a three circles. The inner circle is calm, the outer circle is overwhelm. And if we're in overwhelm, we have to get ourselves back into that calm state. So really knowing yourself and knowing what can help you get into that you know, whether that's doing a meditation, you know, for some people, it's moving their body a bit. But yeah, I think that it's so important for us to to just know ourselves because our body, I mean, that is so important neurologically for us to get enough sleep, to get rid of the toxins to, you know, just allow our body to regenerate and do what it needs to do. And so um, I, I just really, sometimes I think people have in their minds that they can't get better sleep. And that's what I really try to help them explore too, is maybe this is a belief that you've had just because you've been struggling with this for so long and you've just kind of said, well, this is how it is, but the possibility that you could feel better and just experimenting with it and trying out some different things, you know, and like you guys were saying, just noticing what you're, you get up at 3am, what do you do? 
you know, maybe going and if you're awake, going away from your bed and then doing something that can help you come and relax back in your bed, you know, um, noticing if you're feeling that anxious, you know, like, Chad, what you were talking about, if you're feeling that just noticing that and, and being aware of it, and then doing something that will nurture you. So I mean, a lot of my clients, it helps with just doing some deep breathing or yoga, things like that. Um, but you know, it's again, it's a thing of like, it just takes time. And it's, it's a habit. And it's knowing yourself and what works for your body and, and experimenting and trying some different things out, and believing that you you can get better sleep and, and that it is possible for you not just saying, well, I'm too old now to get good mm-hmm. sleep or whatever, you know, to it. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 So I hear, yeah, telling us some different things, maybe it's maybe trying out some uh, new mindful uh, practices could help uh, in those moments. Those are some good takeaways, you know, um, and, you know, as we are speaking of takeaways, as we're sort of heading in, we're, you know, this pandemic is not going to last forever. So Camille, I'm going to, when we're ready to get back to the way things were just a few months ago, what are some ways that you want normal to be normal again? And what are some ways you want to hold on to what you've learned from this experience? Yeah, thank you. I think that, you know, the part that's, um, I want to be normal for myself and my clients is, is that we have more freedom, you know, in feeling like we can, um, you know, do our business or go to the store or do the things that we need to do and feeling like that freedom is back for us, that there doesn't feel like this, um, you know, not that we can't do things, right? I, I, I think once this is over, and we know it will be over at some point, just being able to have um, life normalized in that we can get back into what we're used to doing our routines that way. I think that's really important for people. Um, you know, I, I hope that the part that I miss a lot is hugging people and connecting in that physical way with them and just being in the same space. I think that's something that I'm realizing how much I appreciate it now that it's gone. Right. So those are some of the things. And then, um, you know, the things that I feel like I've really want to, continue with that I've learned from this time and is how important stillness is. You know, I've been talking to a lot of my clients about, you know, we're slowing down. We're not overscheduled. We don't have all these things that are going on and we're able to just be present with our family members, you know, maybe even being outdoors more. I know I've noticed my neighbors are outdoors way more because that's something that they can do. Um, So I would love to continue with, you know, just being able to be more present in our lives and that stillness. I know that's been really good for me and also just appreciating each other so much that how important relationships are and human connection. You know, I had my aunt go into the hospital during this coronavirus and I was surprised how much it affected me that I just started bawling and I just started crying and I thought human relationships are so important and sometimes we don't really take that we take it for granted and we don't really connect in that really I mean like we are now you know I think when when we're in crisis human beings tend to reach out we want to you know help each other and I I would hope for myself that that would continue that we would continue to feel this deep connection to each other and just really appreciate the time we have you know to to be together and laugh and 
you know, I, I love to go hiking and on bike rides and just all of these things that we do together, how important that is. Well said. I like that. So we end our podcast asking our guests the same three questions. And so we'd like to ask you those now. The first question is, what is a book or a podcast or something you're learning right now that's leaving an impression on you? Yeah, um, I just love to learn new things. And um, right now I've been spending a lot of time because I'm I'm doing a two-year training as a meditation teacher and um, I'm learning about loving kindness. And it's been so powerful um, what loving kindness really means, which even during this pandemic, I've been thinking about how we can, you know, just the energy of love and giving that out to others. Uh, you know, a loving kindness meditation really talks about, may you be well, may you be safe, may you be free from suffering, you know, and, and the power of that, of what we're telling ourselves and others to give ourselves that compassion and that love. So I'm reading, um, it's Sharon Salzberg, Salzberg's book on loving kindness, and one of the things that has impressed me, even um, a, another thing that's impressed me about it is she talks about mudita, which is, um, uh, I think it's a Pali word for um, our, our kindness that we we appreciate for others, but also how can we have sympathetic joy for others? Like, how can I be excited in your success? How can I be um appreciating other people's joys and the things that are happening in their life and feeling joy inside myself about it rather than comparison or, um, you know, that not enoughness. And that's been something really powerful for me that I, I'm trying to put out into the world is can we celebrate each other and feel joy for each other? So that's, you know, one of the ones I've been reading right that. now. That's awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic that's stuff. Good thought. Um, what is your morning routine look like, Camille? So I just love my morning routine and you know what? I'm not perfect at it, but the days I do it, it's so wonderful. So the first thing I do is I make my bed <laughs> and I feel like that is That's one impressive. thing I can accomplish. I, <laughs> I make my bed and then I put my, <laughs> yeah, and then I just put my hand over it. That's my reward of like that feeling of the fresh bed made, you know, and then I kneel down and I say a prayer. I'm a person of faith and I feel like having God in a part of my life is really important. And then I do some movement, whether that's some yoga or, you know, going outside for a run, whatever it is, I feel like my body needs that day. I moving my body makes such a difference in the way I'm able to be creative in the way I'm able to, you know, just mm -hmm. be present, you know, and, and we know that moving the body changes the brain chemistry. So I always do some movement, which is so important for me. And then reading, I, you know, I'll read books or scripture, um, you know, just spending some time reading and kind of reflecting and meditation time, you know, each day, um, meditation has become a love of mine <laughs> because of how much it has helped me and a lot of my clients to be able to, you know, have freedom from anxiety and be able to feel improved well-being. Um, so that's, you know, a lot of what I do in my morning routine, which really sets out the day in a good in a good way. And that's why I say morning and night routines, I think are so important mm -hmm. for our mental health. Um, you know, that's what I'm, a lot of my clients right now, I'm just trying to help them get into a schedule and a routine because their schedule and routine has been thrown off. Yeah, that, And I think that's so important. 
Yeah. So, so this is, uh, our last question and my favorite question because Chad and I are building this community called big self. Uh, and we ask this to everybody and we get lots of really cool, different answers that we would have never considered. So the last question is what does big self mean to you? You know, I think big self means, um, expanding yourself in a way that you can influence others, um, be a blessing in their life. Um, when I think about how I would like to show, you know, myself, uh, I would like to have influence in blessing and helping other people's lives. I think it's also about like being authentic and vulnerable to who you really are, um, and allowing the world to see you with your scars and your, you know, whatever it is that you have, you know, I love that um, from the greatest showman, this is me kind of a thing. I think that's a lot of what big self is about is just showing yourself to the world and allowing you to be seen and your influence to be felt by others. Beautiful. Oh, that's good. Like yeah. that. It's a flourish wellness consulting. That's your, uh, that's your business. You want to tell us, uh, tell everybody how they can reach out to you to learn a little bit more. Sure. Yeah. I'm, you can reach out to me at flourishwellnessconsulting.com. Um, and that's where you'll find, you know, all of my upcoming meditation retreats and courses I'm teaching. I'm actually doing some meditation courses on zoom. And I also do a health habits class every few months as well. That's by zoom. So you can find all of that at flourishwellnessconsulting.com, or you can email me and it's Camille, C-A-M-I-L-L-E at flourish, F-L-O-U-R-I-S-H, wellnessconsulting.com. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, yeah. this was awesome. You are a delight. I hope that we can meet in person someday. Yes, that would be so awesome. We'll have to make our <laughs> way west or you come east. I don't know. Yeah. Yes, I know. That would be wonderful. Well, thanks for, seriously, thanks, check for, it off. thanks for sharing. I know it's early mountain time for you. Thanks for sharing some of your morning, some of your wisdom with yeah. us uh, today during this um, during this crisis. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And I also have a podcast called Wellness Wisdom, and it just has a lot of aspects like what we've talked awesome. about today about ways to pr promote well-being. Right. Fantastic. We'll, we'll link to all that in our show yeah. notes and make sure that people know where to find you and your amazing work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Chad and Shelly. Thank you for tuning in to the Big Self Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, join the community on Facebook at the Big Self Society. You can find us at big underscore self on Twitter. And we are also at the Big Self Society on Medium, where we feature and curate content on topics ranging from psychology to creativity and productivity. We'd love to hear from you. What show made an impact on your thinking, your habits, your decision making, or anything else? And anyone you'd like us to reach out to and have on the show, let us know.